The saying, if you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen, is widely reported to have been coined by U.S. President Harry Truman. Unfortunately, when it comes to climate change and food security, we simply don't have that luxury. While we may not be able to stand the heat, leaving the kitchen is really not an option. Today on Chat Chat, we have Chelsea Brathwaite, who is a trade research assistant at the Shreda Farnfall Center and a part-time micro and macroeconomics tutor at the University of the West Indies Cayfield campus. Her research interests include e-commerce and digital trade, artificial intelligence, women and trade, and climate change and food security. Welcome Chelsea and thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Akilia. No problem. So when we talk about climate change, what exactly are the, you know, the kinds of changes that we're talking about, you know, not to be dramatic, but I guess what are, what are the doomsday predictions, so to speak? Well, generally, um, when we define climate change, the term itself says exactly what it is. It's really a change in climate. Mm-hmm. But I guess that requires an understanding between the difference between weather and climate. So okay. typically, weather refers, you know, to the short-term changes in the atmosphere. Whereas climate, it looks more at a long-term period of time, mm-hmm. atmospheric conditions in a specific area. So if we look at, for example, Barbados, and you said, what was the weather today? It was probably rainy, probably sunny. That's mm-hmm. a short-term period. As opposed to now, if someone says, you know, what's the climate like in Barbados? That's looking at the long-term weather projections over a longer span. So on average, we have, you know, a tropical, sunny, warm climate, so to speak. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, one of the definitions that is most cited from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they usually define it as a change in the state of climate that can be identified by changes in the mean and or the variability of its properties and that persists for an extended period typically decades or longer. So simply put, it's really just a phenomenon where we're seeing an observed change in the average climatic conditions over an extended time period. And we're usually talking about over decades or even longer. So yeah, it is kind of scary. It is it is a hot topic. And I think why it is a hot topic, as you said, <laughs> yeah, <hot>. not necessarily <laughs> because, you know, it's doomsday, but because of the role that human activity is actually playing in accelerating the phenomenon. And there's okay. a lot of factors that do contribute to it. So there are natural ones. We're not negating that there aren't. But then when we look at what's really driving it and accelerating it, it's usually describing the greenhouse effect, which mm-hmm. in simple terms, you know, that's where certain gases in the earth atmosphere prevent the sun from escaping in terms warming the earth and what usually we have to ask ourselves where do these gases come from and mm-hmm. when we analyze that is mainly human activities um so actually we actually published a policy brief recently on climate change and they actually pinpointed where the emissions were coming from in terms of sectors so the electricity and heat generation sector that accounted for about 25 percent of these emissions industry itself accounts for a large amount as well as the agricultural industry mm-hmm. transportation accounts for about 14 percent buildings for six percent and so on so all of these things at the end of the day are human activities that are okay. in turn contributing to this phenomenon so i think that's also why it is literally and figuratively a hot topic because <laughs> yeah you know we are contributing to it at the end of the day yeah so i mean that is yeah that was fairly comprehensive and that was quite informative so um how did you i guess become interested in climate change i mean was it just um, i mean other than it's a hot topic <laughs> <laughs> um well really how i guess it would have started um at my current job with the Shridaf Rampal Center, where, as you said, I work as a trade research assistant, I do research on climate change as well. 
okay. and food security under a changing climate. But I guess where it would have all started, um, I grew up on a plantation. I still live here. So okay. I was always around like agriculture, um, always around growing crops, um, having livestock. And for me, yes, it was a means of, you know, economic empowerment because that's um, one way of earning money. You also yeah. had that sense of responsibility, you know, feeding the nation and what's not. But I guess how climate change really came into play is actually seeing the impacts firsthand. So I always remember we had this greenhouse um, mm-hmm. that we had built. And when Hurricane Thomas came, I remember I, I didn't even know that a hurricane could bend metal like that. It completely destroyed the greenhouse. All the crops were lost. We also lost some livestock. So just seeing the impacts of these mm-hmm. hurricanes over the years um, firsthand. Okay. That would have piqued my interest. And then I guess currently now facing this ongoing drought that we have, especially here in Barbados, you would know we have severe water scarcity problems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and seeing yeah. how, um, you know, we have to battle with that on the agricultural front. Like, you know, how are we going to get these crops watered? What strategies are we going to take? So for me, it's really a lived reality. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like, I can't really get away from it. I deal with it at work and then I come <laughs> I home and I have to deal with it again. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. That, that makes sense to me. Um, so I guess a lot of what we um, discuss on climate change too is the, around kind of, I guess, what they're calling clean versus dirty energy. And, you know, the work needed to kind of reduce the dependence on fossil fuels and that kind of thing. And um, I read somewhere where they mentioned that some of the the amount of raw fuels required to produce clean energy and the social and economic impacts that, you know, they may not, you know, maybe we're just trading one issue for another. So I don't know if that is the case, you know, uh, I guess I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. For me, um, the technicalities of it, um, the cost benefit analysis, I can't really speak on. I could only be guided by the research, as you said, Mm -hmm. some individuals Mm -hmm. are saying that, well, at the end of the day, we might just be trading in one issue for the other. Um, That may very well be the case. And again, we will have to rely on what the data says. But I know um, we are moving towards renewable and cleaner energy, um, which for me, at the present moment, I would say I am satisfied by such a move. Mm-hmm, compared mm-hmm. to what we've seen in terms of the greenhouse emissions coming from the fossil fuels and stuff we've seen the devastating impacts of that so to me if we are moving away towards renewable energy that perhaps is a step in the right direction but okay. going forward perhaps as you said there are some cost benefit analysis that need to be done so perhaps refining our approach to renewable energy to make sure that we mitigate those side effects like actually contributing the greenhouse gas emissions that mm-hmm. would necessarily be a step that perhaps even researchers here locally because whenever we talk and read about these things is always outside of the Caribbean you know people That's that are researching true. this but yes, if yes. our researchers here even at UE our students get interested in looking at for us you know our renewable energy when it whether it is solar or hydro whatever the case may be what impacts would this have on climate change and you know tweaking and refining to make sure that when we do make this transition that at least we would have mitigated as best as possible the contributions that this new avenue could have to climate change yeah and um as you said we're kind of moving towards renewable energy and barbados in particular is targeting being the first 100 percent green and carbon neutral state in the world by 2030 which is you know quite an ambitious target so Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we get there. Hopefully we get there. We see the benefits of the um, the changes that we implement. Um, the effects of 
you know, climate change on food production, which is kind of what you were mentioning before. You know, sometimes maybe can be, well, in some ways, maybe overshadowed by the more dramatic, you know, melting ice caps and tropical storms and, you know, rising sea levels and that kind of thing, all of which, of course, are significant. But what is the impact of climate change on food security, you know, um, which is the access to sufficient, affordable, nutritious, yeah. So in terms of that, um, how I would probably discuss it is that when you look at climate change and food security and agriculture, they influence one another. So on one perspective, you do have climate change impacting the agricultural sector. Mm -hmm. um, the FAO, they did a report where they said that actually the agricultural sector, they absorb about 25% of the losses from climate related disasters. And we've seen that firsthand here in 2004, Grenada, they would have lost almost 80% of their agricultural assets due to Hurricane Ivan. Mm -hmm. um, we had Hurricane Maria in 2017. In Dominica, they would have lost about 121 million US dollars in, in the agricultural sector alone. Um, and when we look at the impact when it comes to the agricultural losses, crops and the livestock that we lose, that not only has an implication on us being able to feed the nation, but it also has economic implications because the agricultural sector still contributes around 12 to 17 percent of GDP across across the Caribbean member states. Okay. Um, you know, it is a significant source of food, of course, yeah. and it does contribute to employment and foreign exchange. So that in itself has far reaching implications. Yeah. Um, when we look at our, I found that one of the ways we try to combat, even though, though it may not necessarily be because of climate change, we import a lot of food. Yes. So yes. our food import bill is like well over, and when I say we, I mean the Caribbean. So CARICOM's food import bill exceeded about 5 billion US dollars. And I know Prime Minister Motley was talking about this point over and over and trying to reduce this bill. Mm -hmm. um, when we look at food security, although the definitions do not necessarily dictate where the food has to come from, mm -hmm. and overall, there are two main avenues. You have food self-sufficiency, where we meet consumption needs through our own domestic production, and then food self-reliance, where we import food from the world market. And there's a right. lot of debate in academic literature on these two avenues. But for me, I don't necessarily view them as either or, but rather complementary. So it's a case where we do need to develop a domestic agricultural sector capable of feeding our own people. Yes. But yeah. at the same time, um, because of the same climate change and other constraints, there will be cases where certain products and certain quantities we simply can't produce. And on that mm -hmm. basis, we should definitely import. Um, but in that case, um, I think it's still necessary in making sure how then do we develop that domestic production given, as you said, the climate um, change constraints. It's a case of looking mainly at climate adaptation. So what are farmers doing at the national level to make sure that, you know, their crop yields are increasing, that mm -hmm. they're coping, et cetera. So for me, um, while the climate change is a reality, we still need to make sure we're adapting. Um, and I see a lot of it is coming out now, a renewed interest in developing our agricultural sector from COVID-19. Yes. Um, you're yes. seeing um, a lot of individuals encouraging backyard um, farming initiatives where me and you, we would have our own little plot. So it's a case where I can grow my lettuce, you grow your lettuce. We don't have to go to the supermarket for that. You know, the food yeah. import bill would come down, stuff like that. Um, we also have the governments actually helping farmers, you know, in terms of subsidies for different inputs, fertilizers, seedlings, water. That's a really big one, especially for Barbados, you know. Yes, for sure. That is definitely a challenge. 
And for me, um, for me, I ask myself every day, you know, what, what can we do to actually overcome that, even from the farmer's perspective? And um, Justin Ram, um, he always used to say something that was really interesting. He always used to say, we aren't small island states. We're actually big ocean economies. And well. that's, that's very true. <laughs> All around us is just water. And while the rain may not be falling, the question I always ask myself, how can we use existing water masses to overcome these current constraints? So, mm-hmm. And it always yes. takes me to desalination plants. And I don't know the technicalities of what is required for setting up one of these. So it might not be as easy as we are seeing or discussing here. But for me, that would definitely be the starting point. Because unless we are going to decide how we can create rain, I really feel that the solution lies in, in the being able to mobilize, you know, the ocean's resources to help create um, and overcome the water scarcity challenges we're facing and really help our farmers. Yeah. Um that 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 is actually pretty interesting um then i guess the other the other thing i think about in terms of the complexity of climate change and food security is that you know the the agricultural sector as you mentioned is being impacted but then you know it, it itself is kind of impacting on the greenhouse gas emissions so i was just wondering how we reconcile you know like we're we're being impacted but also we're still kind of contributing to the problem <laughs> Yeah. And that's why actually I'm glad you brought that up because that was the second part I was to get to because remember at the beginning I said they influence one another, agriculture and climate change. Yes. Where we saw climate change impacting agriculture, creating the losses and what's not. But as you rightfully said, agriculture is also contributing to climate change. Um, yes. One research um actually I read earlier this week it said that agriculture actually contributes about a quarter to the climate change that we're seeing today is because of agriculture and factory farming. So it's actually a situation where food and climate change both influence each other. And there was this news article by NBC News, and they noted that if we make small changes in our daily lives, especially the way we eat, we could actually alleviate much of the effects of climate change. So things like adopting a more plant-based diet. So when we look at livestock like cows, um, when they're fed grain, they produce significant amounts of the greenhouse gas methane. And that is one of the issues whenever we talk about how agriculture contributes, that's often cited. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the idea is if you go towards adopting a more plant-based diet and what's not, we could actually reduce the greenhouse gas emission. They found that collectively, if we adopt a more plant-based diet, we could reduce the equivalent of up to eight gigatons of carbon dioxide per year. And I found that really interesting because... At the end of the day, agriculture is driven by what we consume. Farmers are not going to just grow plants or raise livestock for the that, fun of it. True, that nobody <laughs> wants, right? Exactly. So um, it starts with us on what we consume because that's going to drive, our demand drives, you know, their production. Um, another thing as well would definitely be using more locally uh, whole grown foods. Because not only would it reduce our excessive food import bill and support our local farmers, which definitely is needed Um, but it would also help with the climate change mitigation because when we look at it the processed foods that we tend to eat and we import they require a lot more harvesting a lot more processing a lot Mm -hmm. more transportation yeah all of those things use a whole lot more fuel which then in turn increases our greenhouse gas emission as opposed to if we just had the cassava and the yams that you know we just take right over the ground not no processing required anything like that so um, that's another thing yeah um in terms of reducing food waste as well, that's an important step because about 30% of the world's food, it goes to waste annually. 
and it goes to landfills. And in a lot of cases, landfills are oxygen starved. And that prevents the food waste from decomposing properly, which in turn then creates methane to leak mm-hmm. into the atmosphere, again, contributing to climate change. So again, all of these are little things we can do um, in terms of our consumption, our eating patterns. And again, some of the agricultural practices that the farmers do as well um, would play an important role, you know, ensuring that the soils remain fertilized, not overusing or exhausting the land, all of those different things definitely we have to take into consideration. How we go about harvesting, the technologies that we use, are they giving off certain fuels, etc. So, you know, yeah. they're definitely related for sure. Well, the thing is, I mean, you make a good point about plant-based diet. I mean, especially for us, I would say in Barbados, I am not sure if that would be necessarily a you know a popular <laughs> a popular direction i mean i feel it would be fair to say that we and barbers are definitely meat moats <laughs> so sure <laughs> so i that while that is quite interesting you know that that would definitely require uh i would say a cultural shift for sure yeah for yeah sure <laughs> so um you had mentioned also earlier about you know, us not being, you know, small island states, etc. Um, the, the discussion on food security and climate change also, you know, raises questions about like global justice and inequality because the, in the, in the, the industrialized nations, you know, they tend to generate more of the CO2 emissions. Um, but it's like we are more impacted, but we have a small voice. So I don't know. There's also the politics, what I would call refer to as the politics of climate change as well. So I don't know if you want to share some thoughts on, on, you know, maybe the things that we are doing or could do with our small voice. Yeah, that's, I, I would say that's really, really war on climate changes because, you know, we contribute less than 1% of the greenhouse gas emissions. And we being small and in developing states are likely to be the most impacted by the effects of climate change. And of course, in no world is that fair or even ideal, but um, I think dialogue on the issue is definitely needed mm-hmm. because even if we had the best climate adaptation measures in place and mitigation measures as well, if we really want to deaccelerate climate change, then mitigation must start with these big players, these industrialized countries, because yeah. it will always be a case of where we're kind of trying to catch ourselves. You know, we're running and is a race where we somewhat can't win <laughs> because yeah. every yeah. time we try to adapt more and more, the effects get more and more grave. So we do need to have that dialogue with them. And I was actually really happy to see that. Our Prime Minister, Mia Motley, she actually started that dialogue during the, um, when she had the 16th Royal Press Speaks lecture. Mm-hmm. where she actually challenged, I don't know if you have watched that, but she challenged the world to reintervent the international order and do better by small states that are on the front lines of the climate change war. Yeah. And she quoted that we did not start. So I think she used some very powerful words there. <laughs> and you know, that lecture had the attention of a lot of world leaders. So I think actually having that dialogue and really being able to hold these larger countries accountable is where it all starts. Um, we do, we, you know, the small voice thing, I think what we have to do because we are, Barbados represents one small island developing states, but there's a lot of small island developing states. True. And I think, you know, if we come together on the global platform and that's really what the late um, Owen Arthur, our former mm-hmm. Prime Minister, he really, he really was pushing for that. He always used to advocate for small and vulnerable economies. If we come together and make sure we're represented in 
each international organization, you know, the idea is really for us to take up space. And if we take up space, our voice, as small as it is, it cannot be ignored. So I feel like that's what we have to continue to do and keep trying to hold them responsible, keep having the dialogue as uncomfortable as it may be, you know, actually calling them out and saying, well, this is what it is. This is what we need to do. And we'd be surprised because there are some leaders of industrial countries that, you know, they are woke to these issues. It's not that Mm -hmm. they're ignoring it. It's just, yeah, there are a few, of course, that we know who, Oh, yes. rightly, you know, don't believe in climate change or what's not. But we work with the ones that are willing to work with us and hope for a better future. Yeah, because I guess, I mean, really, it's our life. You, you correctly said, you know, the front line of the war, because really our lives and our livelihood um, are really on, on the line. Um, then the, the other thing I, I was wondering about is like, um, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? Maybe I shouldn't ask that, but in terms of, you know, know, like migration, because if the sea levels continue to rise, I mean, is there, will there be a time where, you know, maybe we may have to move or relocate or, you know, we can't occupy certain parts of the island? I don't know. So I, I don't know if I can think of the worst case scenario because I feel like nature always surprises us and what we think is worse turns out not no. to be worse because <laughs> we never thought that we'd be in this situation with COVID-19 now. Oh, fair enough. I take that point. <laughs> for what I can imagine, um, if we look at the, the social implications for sure, um, one of the direct implications of climate change, whether we like it or not, is death, you know a lot of people when we have extreme weather conditions we Mm -hmm. have mortality rates we can recall hurricane katrina in florida that had a mortality rate of greater than a thousand people in hurricane dorian which we have recently in bahamas death toll of over 70 people um so it has a direct implication of a reduced population reduced labor force and then the thing is the spin-off from that is that the people looking out like me and you and we're seeing all of this happening we begin considering the possibility of migrating to someplace safer so to speak which is less prone to the climate disasters because we're not going to say well okay hurricane dorian missed us and went for bahamas Mm -hmm. um let's start a family here and just hope and keep on hoping most people will probably be like okay let's see where we can go if we have the financial means etc and again um our prime minister uh, mia motley she spoke about this idea of climate refugees um at one of the united nations climate event summits and she was saying that you know mass migration due to climate change is a very real reality that could occur for us as small island developing states and it would destabilize countries mm-hmm. and that in itself is a whole heap of other implications because i remember times when our battle was and still is the idea of brain drain where um some of our brightest they get scholarships yeah. to go overseas and don't remain but imagine now we're not only facing brain drain we're actually just facing mass migration because yes, yes. people want to survive so now you have a country where there's no workforce the brain drain is occurring you know that's that's a destabilized economy so for sure that is a major problem in itself yes Yes, yes. Um, the the other thing I was curious about is, um, you know, the specific impact to, to women when we discuss climate change and food security, not only, I guess, not just here in the region, but, you know, maybe your thoughts like across the globe, if, you know, there are specific concerns when it comes to women who may be more vulnerable. Okay, so... Um... Just a disclaimer, I'm not very versed in this area, but um, from reading and basic understanding of certain stuff, 
what the research is showing is that the existing gender inequalities, they're likely to be exacerbated by climate change. So mm-hmm. the reality is we live in a world where there, there's a lot of gender inequalities, right? Back from pay, women are more likely to be in poverty, et cetera, et cetera. And the list goes on. Yes. So what they're saying is that the challenges or the struggles that women already face, they are going to intensify because of climate change. So things like heat waves, droughts, extreme storms, rising sea levels, they would disproportionately affect women. Mm -hmm. Um, In the sense, if we take a case of a female that was struggling and she maybe had a small plot of land and that was her route for economic empowerment. Imagine now when she has to deal with, you know, preparing herself or her family, um, hurricane preparations but not only is she dealing with managing the household dealing those preparations you know the psychological stress and trauma but then the hurricane or the drought comes and literally destroys her means of livelihood she's back you know it's like she took five steps forward and now she's 10 steps backward so it's a case where that can occur where the struggles women are already facing will begin to intensify but um, I think that's been recognized because in the Paris Climate Agreement, they actually included specific provisions to ensure that women receive support to cope with the hazards of climate change. So there are gender-specific um, commitments in the Paris Climate Agreement. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women are becoming more involved as well. So if you look at activists in climate change and global warming, there's Greta Thunberg, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. really young um, female um, there's Vanessa Nakata as well. And then world leaders like Christiana Figueres, she actually spearheaded the Paris Climate Agreement. So there are those leaders, and then here in the Caribbean, again, our own prime minister, mm-hmm. in almost all of her speeches, she continuously brings up the topic of climate change. So I think female voices are being considered. And I feel once female voices are considered, they will be able to voice the concern of women as well. And going forward, when we tackle the climate change crisis, there will be consideration to the perhaps extra provisions that will be needed to ensure that the gender inequalities aren't exacerbated, but are actually reduced and eventually eradicated. Yeah, well, that is definitely our hope because, I mean, as you said, that def- that burden would definitely fall with, you know, with us. The consequences would definitely fall with us. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was actually really, really interesting and informative. So lastly, I, you know, I know you're passionate about Barbados and the region. So I'm just wondering what's up next on your research list, just out of curiosity. Um, on my research list, in terms of climate change, what I would really like to do, because it, it isn't really existing right now in a, or I should say in a comprehensive document, is to really catalog or track the different climate change strategies, whether it be mitigation and or adaptation, that we're taking at a national level, so across all 15 CARICOM member states, as well as at a regional level, because I feel like we never could really go and find this information online. It's like, I have to mm-hmm. sit on individually type in Barbados, then I have to see, and then it might not even be under one section. So just to see what's actually happening on the ground nationally and then from a regional perspective, that is something I'm interested in because I feel like to go forward, we need to know what we're doing now, make sure we're not duplicating resources and what's not, and really come up with a song strategy mm-hmm. and plan going forward. So for me, that was the area that I would really like to get started on or to just begin to catalog um, the measures and what we're trying to do 
And for sure, in the future going forward, particularly for food security and for the agricultural sector, I'm definitely interested in making sure, because in a lot of cases, we as researchers, we push out a lot of research, but you know, it's difficult or for the region, what I found was a challenge is we don't really streamline research outputs into tangible, practical, mm-hmm. hands-on efforts. So mm-hmm. whereas we may have a bunch of recommendations for farmers, um, how feasible is the implementation of it for the farmers? How practical is it? Are they actually doing it? Have we given the support needed to actually carry it out? So my hope really is that any research I do in this area, I could actually have streamlined into practical application and not just have sitting there as a research output. Yeah, and I mean, as you rightly said, well, you know, data is important. We can't know what we're doing if, you know, we don't really know what is going on if we, we don't really have the data to make the right decision. For sure. Well, I just want you to know that then we're definitely counting on you, Chelsea. Okay? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. So thanks so much for your time today, Chelsea. Um, climate change, I would have to say, is definitely a, a daunting issue to contemplate. But it really helps to have a you know better understanding of the issue and you know perhaps how we can turn things around. So this really was informative. You know, maybe I will consider um, becoming a vegetarian. I can't make any promises. <laughs> ah, um, hopefully, I will follow your lead as well. But thank you so much for having me, Akilia. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join us every other Wednesday for another episode of Shack Shack. Subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also connect with us on IG, Facebook, and Twitter, or by email at akilia at shackshack.club. Let's shake things up.